on. Woohoo! Hey everybody! Welcome back to Original vs. Cover with DJ Crystal Clear and engineer extraordinaire Dr. Paul Bernalino here. Yo, MTV Raps. And we are here <laughs> in the world famous As It Should Be Studios in Crooklyn, New York. It is uh, 2020. 2020, as Barbara Walters would say. What day is it today? Today's the 4th. Yeah. It's Saturday, right? It's Saturday, January the 4th, 2020. And this is one of those years... I was thinking about this yesterday and talking about it with another friend. That, you know, when we were little and your English class or your history class or your dorky teacher was like, Oh, what do you think the world's going to be like in 2020? Because it was so fucking far away in 1976. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, what? 1999? That's a TV show. That can't, you know, am I going to be alive then? You, yeah, like we'll all be dead. Yeah, you're literally thinking you're going to be dead. <laughs> it's going to be the Jetsons then. <laughs> right. And I'm mad because I still do not have a car that can collapse into a briefcase or an attache case. Yeah. So here we are in 2020, and what's going on? Well, let's see. What year is it? Because we have a dotard in the White House who's about to start a war with people that President Clinton tried to do some shit with when he was up for re-election. Hmm. That sounds vaguely familiar. And, uh, you know, there's no climate issues because it's 50 degrees on December the 4th. Or, sorry, January 4th. <laughs> it's the new year. And, uh, you know... It's weird. So whoever's listening to this in the future, <laughs> <laughs> this is a recap of what's happening now. The yeah. Church of What's Happening Now. <sighs> you know, Todd Rundgren has a song about what you're talking about, though, the called Future. The, you know, it's about how we're supposed to be, you know, driving flying cars and all that stuff. We're supposed to be in the future. What yeah. happened, you know? And what do we have? And what Tic do we have? TikTok and Snapchat, FacePlace, InstaPlace. Who is now, now they're like censoring people. Well, of course. But have you noticed this? Like in real time, have you noticed it? No. So I was posting something about, you know, racism like I always do. And I wrote, you know, way to go to America, way to go America, you fucking idiot. And then it was like, bing, I get this message. This, this message, I, you know, I'm not quoting it verbatim, but it was basically, this is something that could get you banned. This is this is this is an example of hate speech. Blah 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 blah. You might want to reconsider. Da da da. And then it gives you choices. I I took a screenshot of it. I'll show it to you later. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> really? You know this whole hate speech thing. It's like every there's the words people choose carry such grave weight now. But people can do whatever but the fuck they, they want, want to people. You know? Because yeah. I could go get a gun and walk into a yeshiva and shoot it up. You know, of course, there'll be consequences, but well, yeah, actually, I can't. You're not white. I can't post. Yeah, that's because right, I'm not white. I forgot. Yeah. I can stand on the corner breathing and get arrested. That's right, because I'm not white. But I was just like, this is crazy because maybe six months ago, somebody posted, you know, a performance video, and I was just like, oh, this is awesome. And then I just i I used the emoji, like the like the explosion emoji, and a heart, and I repeated it three times, and then ding. The, this was blah blah blah. You might want to but and I was like, "What? Are you serious? An explosion emoji? That's oh maybe, oh, maybe that's I don't know. That's that's terrorism. I 
The I terrorists mean, don't like you posting things about terrorism. Terrorism. <laughs> I mean, bananas. All right, but I digress. Yeah. So welcome to 2020, everybody. And this is episode number thir- lucky 13 of Original Versus Cover. And I'm going to start off with a really great song, a really fabulous Motown song, uh, originally called Who's Lovin' You? And the original was by The Miracles. Before, they were called Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. They were just the plain old Miracles. And uh, the album was, Hi, we're the Miracles, from 1960. (laughs) (laughs) And this has a couple of covers. Uh, The first cover is by Brenda and the Tabulations, uh, from the album called Dry Your Eyes in 1967. The second one is by the Jackson 5, from Diana Ross Presents the Jackson 5 in 1969. And then the third is by Terrence Trent Darby uh, from his album Introducing the Hard Line. <laughs> Paul's giving a thumbs down right out of the gate. Just a, ter- just a Terrence. Just, yes, um, just a Terrence. And uh, that came out in 19... Uh, sorry, Introducing the Hard Line according to Terrence Trent Darby, which came out in 1987. Now, the original, you know, what can I say? It's three minutes and four seconds of Smokey Robinson magic. It's a very spare arrangement with organ, drums, bass, and guitars that are very low in the mix. And Smokey's melancholy vocal is right, right up front um, in his gorgeous falsetto. And uh, the harmonic backing vocals way in the back, like 50 feet away. I'm guessing that they did it in the same room, which is the way that they would do things back then. Well, yeah, you've probably seen that house. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, you couldn't get away from each other uh, in that little place. Right. So he like one step back. So they're far away from him as possible. So it's just it's gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. And to me it's kind of a low key performance from them, sort of. Not bad low key, just just kind of subdued. Subdued, thank yeah. you. Uh, so the first cover by Brenda and the Tabulations. This follows the arrangement exactly the same except the organ is louder and the backing vocals are coming from the next room instead of the back of the room. Um, I had no idea that this version existed and I wish I had um, because I would have listened to it more often. Uh, Brenda's vocal is very pained, soft and strong and of course there's a gender flip because she's a woman singing it and it has a very nice horn section. Now the second cover by the Jackson 5, this is the most famous cover of Who's Loving You. Uh, the one that future covers were based on, I think. And uh, it was recorded August 7th and 69. Michael was the lead with Marlon, Tito, Jermaine, and Jackie on the BVs. Uh, Bobby Taylor of the Vancouver's was the producer, which I did not know. And this Jackson 5 version was a number of early recordings the group made at Hitsville in that little shack of a house. If you've never been there, you should go there and see it because it's astounding thinking about the kind of music that came out of there and what it looks like. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, Detroit, Michigan. Oh, with the Funk Brothers. Did all the instrumentation, of course. And just after recording this song, Barry Gordy moved the entire Jackson family to L.A. So this is the last song that they recorded at Hitsville. At Hitsville. Well, you know, I think the way I recall, too, I think that... Jackson 5 version being uh, somewhat of a known track really kind of happened later. That was in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, that album, it came out on the first Jackson 5 album, but it was just an album track on up until some there was some compilation that came out, you know, after Thriller or whatever, you oh, know, trying yeah. to 
trying to resell some early stuff, that. and because there was an MTV video of that. There, uh, wow, I missed yeah. that. Really? It was, you know, it was just a bunch of stock footage, footage. and photos and shit. You know. Oh, that's weird. Um, hmm, interesting. Uh, this song was issued as the B side to their first single, "I Want You Back." which went to number one on both the pop and R&B charts. A shortened version was included on the first Jackson 5 LP, Diana Ross Presents the Jackson 5, and uh, the original single version was 20 seconds longer, with fewing backing vocals and sparser instrumentation than the album version. The mono single mix was released on Michael Jackson's Love Songs compilation in 2002. So there's that. So, so it was actually a proper single at the time. Yeah. Yes, I don't remember ever hearing that at all until... The early 80s. 80s, oh, yeah. Our, yeah, my cousins had it. We all had it. It was a big fucking thing. Yeah, I just I don't, don't think, think I had that particular Jackson. Jackson 5 album until later, I guess. Mm. I must not have. Uh, they perform, Jackson 5 performed this on their first Ed Sullivan show appearance. And uh, when the group performed this during their concerts and live performances, Michael usually gave an intro about being really young but knowing about the blues, usually stating how he met the girl during... <laughs> While hanging out in a sandbox and sharing cookies. <laughs> and ended it in, I stepped up to her and I said, and then he would start the song. So uh, I think that it's pretty miraculous because he was a little kid singing this super duper heartbreak, heartfelt song that he put way more emotion into it than Smokey Robinson did. Yeah. I, you know, comparatively, it was like, I mean, he, you know, his heart was broken. He's just pining away this little kid voice, which yeah. is astounding to me. And well into his 40s and into his early 50s, he was still, you know, meeting potential uh, <laughs> uh, uh, playmates in the sandbox <laughs> with cookies. Oh, wow. Sorry. Zing. Sorry. There you go. Sorry. Well, it's true. You can't, you know, got to call a spade a spade here. Uh, in their first concert in Philadelphia, along with I Want You Back, caused the show to be stopped for several minutes because such a huge response from the audience. It was a regularly performed popular song from 1970 to 72, presumably dropped because Michael's voice started to change in 72. So that's when they stopped doing it live, because puberty hit. And the third cover by Terrence Trent Darby, (laughs) that Paul gave a thumbs down to, Um, I thought it was a really great cover, and to me it was very unexpected. Uh, it follows the Michael Jackson feel, of course. I think that he crushes it, and he... It's a little hammy, I will say that. It was it was a little over... He did it. It was a little much. But I remember seeing him sing this on his first tour, and women fainted in the audience. Oh, Jesus. Like, literally, seriously passed out. Like, they were, like, right up front, and he's, you know, leaning down... Throw back to the fifties, oh Frankie or whatever, and they just ooh just passed out. So, I thought that was pretty. Uh, you know, that was something else. I saw him at the Warfields, and uh, at that time, and I don't remember if he did that song or not, to be honest. But I do remember he did the Christmas song because it was in December. Oh really? Yeah. Really. Chestnuts Rose. Yeah, out. yeah. How did that go? Well, you know, it was Terrence Trent D'Arby singing the Christmas song. You know, probably mentally stroking himself over how how much how how much he was improving the song in his own head. <laughs> Did he sound or try to do Mel Torme at all? Uh, 
God, I, I so barely remember now. I mean, he did it basically... Pretty straight. Pretty straight. You know, just his voice, his style over a pretty traditional kind of arrangement of the song. Oh, all right. That's interesting. Well, I, I'm i sorry to say this, but uh, it's kind of... Well, the Jackson 5 is the better version, I think, than the original. Jackson 5 sort of wins this for me. But I also like the Terrence Trent Darby, and I also like um, Brendan the Tabulations. Brendan the Tabulations are underrated all you know overall. Wildly underrated. I fell down a rabbit hole uh, while researching this about them. Because I really did not, I don't ever remember hearing about them or anything. Yeah, I mean, they obviously have singles that, that you know, yeah. but they're just one of those bands. Some groups that, even though they have huge hits at you know during their moment, those hits don't become major oldie station no. songs, so Stand they slip through the cracks. Yeah. yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. So I say, check out Brendan the Tabulations. When I...
options, Paul? Probably Jackson 5. Yeah. I mean, it'd be between them and Brenda in the tabulations. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be a tie between them, too. Interesting. Well, it's good. Check out Brenda and the Tabulations on your own, people. Song number two is I'm Your Boogeyman. (laughs) (laughs) The original was done by Casey and the Sunshine Band from their album Part 3 in 1977. And the cover I chose is, you know, I think most people know it. It was pretty popular when it came out. By Rob Zombie slash White Zombie. Uh, from the Crow City of Angels soundtrack in 1996. Two things. Okay. One, I had no idea about this cover. Oh, yeah? And two, there's another cover that I'm quite surprised you didn't choose. Uh, I probably... Well, what is it? What? Tell me. Or, or do you have another cover? No, no, no. I just picked this one. Tragedy. Yeah, tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, but, shit. But, you know, but that's, that's you know... Yeah, that is a good one, though. Tragedy did do a good one. All right, I'm going to have to, yeah, pick more tragedy next time. Um, But (laughs) the reason I picked this, and you'll hear why I picked it. So the original uh, was co-written by Richard Finch uh, along with KC. Uh, The song was written about a DJ at a Miami, Florida radio station named Robert W. Walker, who was the first to give their hit single Get Down Tonight airplay. So this was a, you know, a tribute to that dude. Uh, This is a stone-cold disco classic that never fails to get people out on the floor. I play this every single DJ gig I've ever done since the 70s. It never fails. People just love it. It's just so easy to dance to, and the lyrics are great. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it does. I don't care who you are, you're going to dance. The guitar lick and the piano lick and the trumpet warming up for the first seven measures. I love that, that they left that in. Um... And then you hear some dude yell out, one, two, three, and then they start. So that's the whole first, teen, first 17 seconds of the four minute and, and two second song. Then he starts the opening line, which is kind of dirty if you really listen to the lyrics. And the whole band storms in behind with the hook, the low blaring and humming horns, and then it just takes off from there. There is so much happening in this song. So I listen to these songs like five, ten times when I'm writing about them. And I'm noticing things that I've never noticed before. So uh, it's the syncopation is crazy, and the tambourine is the champion of this song. <laughs> With, yeah. Hands down, it's the tam- whoever did the tambourine in this. I don't know what gospel church they came from or how old they were. I imagine it's some 85 old year old black church lady from an AME. But I mean, it's crazy, and it's so clear and so perfect in this recording. It's very interesting how singular it is, but all together at the same time. It was probably Bill with his grandma. But <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. Um, they're very sexy backing vocals and Casey's lead vocal with the reverb and everything and the funky bass. The song just smokes, and people, oh, it's corny disco, but no, it's it smokes. Period. So the cover. Now this is probably. The last song I would ever expect Rob Zombie to cover. Because if you know what Rob Zombie looks like and the things that he has done and does, you would never think that he'd listen to disco music or that he would outrightly poo-poo it. Because he's a metal dude. And he 
has this dirty look, you know, he let his hair dreadlock and then like put powder in it or something or bleached it gray and just crazy contact lenses and stuff. He's like the cool version of Marilyn Manson in a way. He's into monsters and the monsters, like he has the monsters car. He owns the car from the TV show. Yeah. And uh, all that stuff, you know, vampires and blah, blah, blah. Um, his videos reflect all that steez. He totally owns it, which is cool. Um, so this song blends disco and heavy metal in a very interesting way. It's a lot of loud guitars that play the main beat and the hook in lieu of the horns, and his vocal seems to be yelled through a beat-up megaphone while underwater, because it just sounds weird. And he even yells out the one, two, three, four part, which I think is funny. Um, this slams hard during the chorus. There's a hip-hop record-scratching thing, jungleish drums, real and electronic, electronic bleeps and blorps, but it's still pretty funky. And believe it or not, I've had 80-year-old millionaires dance to this song. Like when I did, when I would DJ Broadway show opening and closing parties, and these old geezers who would, you know, put up millions of dollars to put up three days of rain or wicked or whatever, and they're out there grooving to it, because I would mix the Casey and the Rob Zombie version, and they kind of wouldn't notice, <laughs> which is strange. And also, there are samples in the song uh, where children are heard saying, He's gonna get you! Boogeyman is coming! And that's taken from the 1978 film Halloween, which Rob Zombie remade in 2007. And it took the world by storm. And it did not take the world by storm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I barely realized that even happened. He did I it, may I, have, I may have heard about it at some point and then probably forgot about it, it was, within 30 seconds. I don't think that... I don't think that Jamie Lee Curtis was in the remake. As well, she should not have been. No, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty funky. So now we're going to listen, and then we'll be back with a winner. I'm your boogeyman. That's what I am. I'm here to do whatever I can. Be it early morning, late afternoon, or at
<clears throat> so, how do you like that cover there, Paul? No, for fuck's sake. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's no contest. No, it is not a contest. Uh, I mean, I do find it interesting, though. You know what I mean? Like, in the sense that that he would, like I said, like, why would... This is the song he chooses to make a cover of? I mean, I, I can kind of see because Boogeyman and then, you know, because... Spooky. The, yeah, there's a double sort of meaning to that. Entendre. yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he can sort of work the the scary boogeyman kind of angle of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I kind of like it. I, you know, call me crazy, but uh, I do like it. It's not a tie. I mean, Casey and the Sunshine Band obviously wins, but I will give it up to Rob Zombie for doing it. And I think kind of taking a chance that he would be ostracized by the metal, metal community for doing that. When was that? Uh, that was... 1996. The 90s! Wow. Stepping out on the edge, dude. Out on the edge. But they loved it. I remember being on MTV all the time. Oh, really? Yeah, well, well, MTV, Jesus. I don't know if I remembered MTV existed in 1996. (laughs) (laughs) It did. It might have even been on VH1 at some point, maybe around Halloween. But I do remember that fucking video because, you know, he used old black and white footage and then contemporary shit and blended it together and clips from old monster movies and, you know, him with no eyes and all that crap. Oh, right, right, right. The eyes rolling back in in the head thing. The white sclera contact lenses ah, so they just right. look like there's no pupil or iris um rob zombie he's a kook and he continues to make movies scary movies remake movies make original ones and i uh haven't watched any of them so there's that <clears throat> all right song number three is 1984 the original done by david bowie from diamond dogs in 1974 and the cover was done by a one anime bullock in 1984. That's Tina Turner, to all you people who don't know her real name. And it was from the the movie. It was from the album Private Dancer in 1984. So the original, come on now, everybody knows this. Uh, crazy 25 second opening with the crescendoing ominous keys and then the wah-wah guitar, the strings, the funky bass. If you ever get the chance to, listen to the isolated bass track to this song, because it is some funky motherfucking shit. And uh, this song is so great. It's a total funky jam. The haunting BVs. It's it's actually kind of spooky and ominous. And, you know, 1974, doing a song about 10 years from then, (laughs) but making it like it'd be 100 years from then. Like, oh, no, everything's going to be terrible. And it kind of was. <laughs> and he was right. And he was right. It was terrible. Everything was terrible. It was terrible. I mean, there was good... I have... I, I, oops, sorry. I have very fond memories from 1984 because I was in college and doing fun stuff and it was cool. But yeah, in general, things really sucked. Um, the cover. Have you ever heard the cover of this? No. I, I don't think I realized that she had ever done that. Yeah. It is a mess. <laughs> 
it was turned into this typical 1984 synth-laden pseudo-disco R&B yeah. mess. Um, of course, her voice is amazing, but it is completely wrong for this song. And I don't know. It's like, it reminds me of... Uh, if you were watching Solid Gold in 1984, and you know how sometimes they do the commercial bumpers with the dancers, and they would they would have just some band and a singer singing whatever hit song of the day. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a bad throwaway cover. Yeah, and I think the only reason that this happened is because when David Bowie put out uh, what was it, Let's Dance, Let's Dance yeah. in 1984. Tina did a duet with him, a song called Tonight, which was a single. I still have the 12-inch single of it. Oh, that's probably from his Tonight album. Tonight album, sorry. And uh, so then they just, like, and then he's like, oh, well, make a cover 1984. And I think he produced it, and you can kind of hear him in the background a little bit. But, yeah, yeah, it was just like, oh, let's do a fun thing together. And this stinks. Yeah. So we're going to listen to this cover. And then uh, come back with an obvious winner. <laughs> obvious winner. <laughs> way to turn a song into something nondescript right okay that was 48 seconds <laughs> well you know that's you can, you can tell us one of those those tracks where you get the gist of it in that amount of time yeah i mean awful just awful i mean she's right it was 1984 it was. <laughs> i mean you know i can't really <sighs> yeah question that but yeah i mean why and she's proven just, it oh god so terrible talk about the savage jaw <laughs> You know, it's it's really too bad because Tina Turner was slash is fucking great. It's just too bad that that sort of second wind period had to happen at that time. (laughs) I don't like any of that shit. You know, I mean, I like a couple. Like, I like what's love got to do with it. Maybe one or two of it. But mostly I don't like any of her big 80s hits. Yeah. You know? I wish that... It had happened before the 70s were over. 
Yeah. And had really great producers and, you know. Yeah. It would have been, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine how awesome that would have been. Yeah, she should have just dumped Ike a little earlier. I'm, well, you know. Yeah. I'm sure she feels the same way, but it wasn't that simple. <laughs> yeah. It, um, but I will say for the time period, it was really good. You know, private dancer, all that stuff. Like it was, she had the best writers and producers and musicians and everything. It could have been a whole lot worse. Yeah, no, it's true. I, but I, the way I recall feeling about it at the time was I didn't like the music. I was just in her corner. I was just like, oh, good. Okay. So she's on it. So she's gotten rid of fucking Ike and she's winning again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm on board for that. But man, I don't like these records. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't name any record after Private Dancer. I don't, I just don't know. I can't think of any other songs. Simply the best. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, yeah, just okay. like. Simply what? the best. And then, uh, we don't need another oh, yeah. hero. Yeah. I mean, that song's okay. I don't like it, but I mean, that's better than Simply the Best. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just mostly just not really great songs. Yeah. You know, with, with, with dated 80s production. Right, it is. And then I think the reason where she got away with it is because when she was touring for the next 10 or 15 years or whatever it was, it would these things would be sprinkled in, but it was all the old Ike and Tina Turner hits. That was the majority of the show. Well, you know, also just she is Tina Turner, you know. It's just, yeah, you know, that carries been, a lot of weight right there. She could have sung the phone book. It wouldn't have mattered. My mom and I saw her twice on the on the Private Dancer tour, and it was fucking spectacular. Yeah, I'm sure it was probably a huge thing. It was, yeah, it was amazing. Production. It, yeah, it was basically a Broadway show, you know, type of thing happening. But um, it was really great. All right, well, David Bowie wins. <clears throat> I mean, come on. Yeah. Don't be ridiculous, people. Uh, all right, song number... F- oh, wait, do we need to stop? Nope. Okay. Song number four... Is a song that um, I've never liked. <laughs> <laughs> I strongly suspect we'll, we'll have this in common, but I, I we'll see. Uh, well, maybe. Um, it's called Only Sixteen. Oh. Yeah. And the original was by Sam Cooke, which was released as a single only in 1959. And the only record you're going to find it on is his greatest hits album, that's yellow with a black and white photo of him on the front of it. And that's the only one anybody buys or can find anywhere anyway, so... Yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like Bob Marley legend, you know, that's the only thing that everybody wants (laughs) to buy. If you bought to buy the one Sam Cooke album, (laughs) where would you go? (laughs) Where would you go? Exactly. (laughs) Rick a stew, Rick a stew, Rick a stew. Um, And then the cover is by Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show, and the album was called Let Me Be Your Lover, and it came out in 1975. So I, all right, the original, <clears throat> uh, it was inspired by the 16th birthday of Lou Rawls' stepsister, Eunice. Now, for people who are asking, why Lou Rawls? If you listen to that Sam Cooke Greatest Hits album, <laughs> you'll hear Lou Rawls doing backing vocals for Sam Cooke all over the place, especially... Um, if you ever change your mind. I mean, it's just, oh, God, it's so good. Um, the song was originally intended for the actor Steve Rowland, who often hung around the Keen studio where it was recorded. Rowland asked Sam Cooke to write a song for him, 
and Cook borrowed the bridge from an earlier song of his called Little Things You Do. Roland's manager did not like the song, and Cook re-recorded it for himself. So there, and got a big hit out of it. Showed them. Showed them. Steve Roland, you jackass. Um, this is very much a song of its time. Uh, somewhat standard mid-tempo 4-4 uh, with young white guys singing in the back, you know, like the four freshmen or whatever. Um, and then smooth-ass Sam Cooke singing an innocent song about a 16-year-old girl who was too young to fall in love. And he was a mere lad of 16 at the time who gave his heart too fast, but is now a grown 17-year-old man and knows better. Um, considering all of the other songs about young girls who were fast and loose from time immemorial all the way through, you know, Christine 16 by Kiss and beyond, this is very charming compared to them. But I still don't like this song. The cover, which really creeps me out, um, it follows the basic arrangement but is a little bit slower. It has a total country vibe, guitars, acoustic, uh, soft background vocals, and Dr. Hook himself sings this kind of like a lullaby, like he's singing a lullaby. I don't know why, but it seems very creepy to me, probably because I heard the cover of the Rolling Stone first for some reason and saw what they look like on the Midnight Special. <laughs> With their big handlebar mustaches. With their big handlebar mustaches looking like a bunch of dirty hippie rock and rollers who are like, come here little girl. Monocles or, or no, but eye patches. Eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eye patch, dirty, filthy, bell-bottom jeans, you know, button-down sort of cowboyish shirts with the pearl yeah. snap things. Uh, yeah, they were, they looked like they bathed when they did bathe, it was in, like, hot dog water or something. <laughs> gross. And I just did not like them. So, even though I don't like this song, uh, yeah, we have to listen to the cover. You've heard this cover. Have you heard this before? I have. Uh, well, you may recall I did my episode of As It Should Be where oh, I gave my that's right. the songs I hate most from the 70s. <laughs> right. And uh. fucking Dr. Hook are, like, the Beatles of shit. Uh, uh, of, of shit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I can't stand Doctor Hook. I they don't. Yeah, all their songs fucking suck and terrible. What other? What other? Wait a minute. Cover of the Rolling Stone. This one. I can't name any other um, songs. They sharing did. the night together. Whoa. Uh, yeah. yeah. What you might. And oh, there's right. this other stuff too. There's um. I'm blanking at the moment, but there's. Oh uh 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 uh. uh I have to do some editing, but what's what's the other one? I kind of feel like there's another one I just No, there, there is one. There's a big one that I that we're both brain farting on. I just don't know it. And it's... Ring me in the morning, girl, if you want to go that far. Oh. Oh, no, that's... Is that sharing the night together? That's it. Ah, fuck it. I don't know. Whatever. All those songs suck. <laughs> oh, they did a cover of Sylvia's Mother. That's yeah, what. there's that, but oh yeah, that that's that's yeah yeah that's one of their least offensive. Uh, yeah, because they didn't write it. Um, when you're in love with a beautiful woman. Oh God, that one's awful too. 1977. Uh, sharing the night together was 78. A little bit more. A little bit more. That's, that's the it. one. That's the fucking one. Oh, I hate that one. That was in 76. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. They're gross. 
Yeah, I always hated them. Then and now. They're terrible. Do you need to hear this? Oh, God, no. (laughs) She was on the 16th. On the 16th. I loved her so. But she was too young to fall in love. And I was too young to know. We'd laugh and we'd sing and do the little things that made my heart glow. But she was too young to fall in love, and I was too young to know. Why did I give my heart so fast? It never will happen again. But I was a mere lad of I've aged a year since then Now she was only 16 Only 16 Oh, but I loved that girl so But she was too young To fall in love And I was too young to know Yes, she was too young To fall in love Even though I don't like it, Sam Cooke wins, obviously. And not just because they're a bunch of dirty, eye-patched hippies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So nasty. All right, song number five is a Beatles song. (sighs) That was from a very popular weirdo album. Uh, The song is called Why Don't We Do It in the Road. It was from the White Album, or The Beatles, right? Correct. Technically, it's called The Beatles. It's called The Beatles. The White Album was given a name given to it because yes, you have to have something to call a self-titled album, album that's later in the catalog. Right. <laughs> and it's all white, so why not? Uh, it came out in 1968, and the cover I'm going to talk about is done by Lowell Fulson from the album In a Heavy Bag in 1970. Have you ever heard this? And nothing about that is familiar to me. I don't know the artist. I don't know the, 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 the track. Nothing. All right. Nothing. Well, the original, it's Paul McCartney. It is one minute and 42 seconds of 34, 34 bars of a 12-bar blues. I feel like he was just like, did he write this in his sleep or something? Yeah. McCartney wrote lots of stuff in his sleep. Sleep. <laughs> Ringly dingly do. Yeah. Uh, He recorded the whole thing himself, of course, playing all the instruments and singing all the vocals. It opens with his hand banging on the back of an acoustic guitar, hand claps and drums. He screams, shouts, yells while repeating two different lines. Okay. So you know the story of how he uh, wrote this song, the origin story of this song? So for those of you who don't know, he wrote this after seeing two monkeys fucking in the middle of the street somewhere in India. When they were all following around the Mara, 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 the yogi, Marahishi? <laughs> Maharishi. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Uh, yeah, Boo Boo Yogi. Boo Boo, yeah. And I quote, 
A male monkey just hopped on the back of this female and gave her one, as they say in the vernacular. <laughs> gave her one. And gave, and gave her one. Only one? Only one. Uh, within two or three seconds, he hopped off again and looked around as if to say, it wasn't me. And she looked around as if there had been some mild disturbance. And I thought, that's how simple the act of procreation is. We have horrendous problems with it, and yet animals don't. So that's that's what Paul McCartney said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think that this is a goofy little thing, and I feel it's a prime example of who Paul McCartney is as a songwriter and musician, and that's all he is. We know that's all he is because that's what his brain is. Uh, he can make a song about anything, even two monkeys fucking. <laughs> you know. And and turn it into something memorable and classic. Classic. I mean, who would ever think to? Who would ever think to do that, to write a song about that, no matter how simple it is? Oh, I mean, what? I don't... <laughs> okay, you know, they were in India, they were obviously on some kind of drugs, and, uh, but whatever, even when he was sober, I guess he thought of crazy shit. Uh, you know, what, the scratch lyrics for yesterday was scrambled eggs, right? Yes. Dingly dangly do. <sighs> so the cover... This is a stomping and lurching real blues version that follows the arrangement, but this is low and swampy guitars, loud and thumping bass and drums. He changes some of the lyrics, you know, in a car, in the house. Uh, this is a very different take from the original, I think, but still no great shakes. Obviously, because hardly anybody has heard of this. Every time I mention it, people are like, somebody did a cover of that? They didn't even know. Um, there's a pretty nice guitar solo during the bridge, and the only reason I heard of it is because it was on the original, or is, on the original, uh, it's on the American Gangster soundtrack that came out in 19, or sorry, 2007. Hmm. Original gang, um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey guys, it's, it's, it's only four o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, you oh know, it's too early. Well, I'm thinking original gangster because we were around the corner from Jay-Z's projects. Um, the American Gangster soundtrack, uh, American Gangster was the movie that, um, Denzel Washington starred in and Jay-Z, uh, did songs for the soundtrack, I think. So let's listen to this cover and, uh, and then figure out which one is better. Why don't we do it in the road? the cover what do you think uh it's not bad it's actually you know pretty good yeah I, it's in a way it's kind of more 
substantial than the McCartney version because the McCartney version just sounds like what it is him just fucking around in the studio right whereas the cover kind of there's there's a bit more body to it yeah it's a little roadhousey um I think but I don't mind that normally I can't stand roadhouse blues yeah. stuff well there's a little bit of that uh, uh muddy waters electric mud kind of vibe about yes. it yeah definitely and this guy never heard of him before since Lowell what's his face Lowell Lowell Fulson yeah some old black man from somewhere so uh I to me it's a tie of mediocrity <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's not exactly a great song but to be fair, it doesn't pretend to be anything more than it is either. So no. it's not. There's no pretense. No, no, not at all. Like you said, it's him fucking around in the studio, and because I'm Paul McCartney, I can get this on an album, and everybody's gonna love it. And fifty years later, people are still gonna still know it. Still singing it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like meh, you know. That's my, that's my vote. Meh, M E H. All right. Here's the last song. Song number six, and it is called "I'm Not Your Stepping Stone." And this is something that I knew a long time ago, and then I forgot about it. And then when I was researching this, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. So the original version, for all you Monkees fans out there, was not done by the Monkees. The original version was done by Paul Revere and the Raiders from the album Midnight Ride in 1966. And then the Monkees covered it, and it was on more of the Monkees in 1967. Then I have the Sex Pistols, who covered it. Anarchy in the UK Live at the 76 Club, which came out in 1978. And then the last cover was done by Minor Threat from their EP or album, album, the first two seven inches, which came out in 1984. So the original, as I said, I was kind of floored when I found out that the original was by Paul Revere and the Raiders because I don't remember hearing it on the radio when I was a kid. I don't think it was really a, a major single or hit or anything. It's just something it recorded. Yeah, and I don't... I never owned any of their records. I didn't like... I don't really like Paul Revere and the Raiders. What was their biggest hit? I can't Kicks remember. Kicks just keep getting harder to find. Yeah. I don't know. And, uh... There's some other stuff. Yeah. I just... I don't know. Try Corner Hats... Well, yeah, I mean, if, if, if you listen, that, that's definitely one of those bands that you don't want to listen to with your eyes. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, we get it. It's a great gimmick. Okay, you're yeah. a Minuteman singing a hit, you know, rock song. I mean. Well, see, those guys had been a club band. They were just storming through the clubs throughout the 50s and oh. the early. See, like, those guys had been, and that's the thing. It's kind of like a cheesy hokey 50s image that they just kept writing into the 60s you know and it, and it got them some attention at first but it came around to bite them in the ass pretty quickly because then people didn't take them seriously but their record their records are really good and but they just look hokey as fuck you yeah. know i mean dumb only people who can get away with that are the upper crust. Yeah, the, well, yeah, there you go. Well, see, but that's that's because they're, you know, they're, yes. they're clearly... A wink and a nod. Yeah. <clears throat> that's true. And if you don't know who the upper crust is, they're this amazing band. Are they from Boston? I think so, yeah. I think they're from Boston. It's three dudes, four dudes. Four dudes. Four dudes, and they dress up in... <laughs> 
They dress up in drag from the 1700s, you know. Powdered wigs. Powdered wigs, frilly blouses. the Knickers. Knickers. With the buckle shoes. shoes, (laughs) The (laughs) stockings. uh, The jet satin coats, uh, you know, the military whatever coats. And they sing these songs in with heavy metal arrangements. Basically, they sound like ACDC. DC, yeah. You know, and the, the guy who sings has a Bond Scottish sounding voice. Totally. <laughs> and they're so fucking good. The originals yeah. are awesome. And uh, yeah, they're really great. You need to check them out. I remember the first time I saw them, which I guess is the case all the time, they are their own roadies. Yeah. So I just saw these you know, four white dudes coming in, like, setting up instruments, and I just thought, wow, they have a lot of roadies. Like, what's going on? Or it was the club. I was like, the club has a lot of people working here. This is interesting. And then, you know, they come out 20 minutes later. Oh, and powdered faces, too. Like, the whole nine. And I'm looking, and I'm like, wait a minute. Wasn't that the guy who brought in the guitars? (laughs) And then I realized, oh, they're their own roadies. And is it the bass player who always makes the faces? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that the scowl. The scowl. Yeah, Count Basie. Yes, the names too. Count Basie. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lord great. Bendover is the singer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lord Bendover. The guitar player. The lead guitar player is Jackie Kickasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, oh and I'm, I'm so good. I'm blanking on the drummer's name. Oh, they're fantastic. Anyway, sidebar, go see The Upper Crust if you get a chance, because they're fucking fantastic. Um, and, you know, it's like, what was one of the songs about being a schoolboy? Yes, yeah, Little Lord Fauntleroy. Little Lord Fauntleroy, yeah. <laughs> Imagine Bon Scott singing that song. Yeah. That's what it is. They're great. So, <clears throat> well, so they're rich. They, their characters, they're well, of course. Yeah, they're the they're, upper they're, crust. They're the upper crust, yes, and so it's about wealthy. them being <laughs> a, a rich and above other people. And <laughs> yeah. like you know, there's a song called "Little R- Little Rickshaw Boy," where he, he he purchases a little rickshaw boy, and the the rickshaw boy is sick and dies, and and he's <laughs> right. in, and the upper crust guy is indignant. Indignant, yeah. He, he's lying dead on the ground, and he yells, "You're fired." <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh, man, they're genius. I love them. Um, All right, so back to the song. Um, So, yeah, when I was a kid, I was floored when I found out this was the original because I never heard it on the radio. It's pretty psychedelic. The groove is kind of slamming, and Paul Revere's vocal, I'm going to call him Paul Revere because I don't know his real name. Do you know what his real name is? His real name is Mark Lindsay. There you go, Mark Lindsay. Oh, yeah, Mark Lindsay. Just this this guy, you know, Mark Lindsay. Um, it's Saturday, and it's 4 o'clock. I, yeah, my brain is... I can barely walk. I'm so tired. So, uh, yeah, Mark Lindsay, some dude, uh, his vocal is shouting and angry, and uh, the song, it leads with the guitar and drums, soft backing vocals. The bass is the loudest thing here with the groove, and it's kind of droning to me. And tambourine! There's another song with a lot of tambourine. I don't know who was on the tambourine, but they should have got paid extra there was a lot of tambourine all right the first cover by the monkeys it leads with that rat-a-tat on the snare and uh the loud hand claps and foot stomps and tambourine and mickey's lead vocal he's doing a bit of an imitation of paul revere <laughs> mark lindsey mark, mark lindsey <laughs> uh, but he's shouting a lot more and the bass seems a little more lively here the backing vocals are louder and the vox continental organ this featured more 
Uh, this is two minutes and 24 seconds, I think, of pre-punk rock, their version of yeah. this. It's very pre-punk rock to me. There's a lot more meat to the Monkees version, I think, than the Raiders version. Yes. Uh, and speaking of punk rock, let's go to the Sex Pistols. It's exactly what you'd expect. John Lydon is yelling, and the band is just smashing and bas- bashing and barely holding it together. But I think they do a pretty good job here, and hold it together surprisingly well for 2 minutes and 53 seconds. And then the minor threat... Oh, and that version, because it's live, it sounds terrible. <laughs> but, you know, so what do you expect? It's fucking Sex Pistols. Um, and Minor Threat, their version, is punk rock. It's smashing, bashing, yelling. Starts out with a low vocal that seems very far away and unsure. But then the last 36 seconds, the rest of the band comes in. It gets a lot louder. It's the same arrangement, just all yelling through the whole thing. And thankfully, it only lasts for 2 minutes and 12 seconds, because that is what punk rock is. It should not be more than... 2.30 at the most, I think. Yeah, it's against the law. It's against the law. So 2.12, I think it comes in just in time. So we're going to listen and then make up our minds. I'm not just stepping stone. Met your girl, you didn't have no shoes But now you're walking around like your front page news You've been awful careful about the friends you choose But you won't find my name in your book of who's who's I said, I So, uh, obviously, the monkeys win. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm actually a fan of Paul Rudd and the Raiders, but yeah, their version doesn't touch the monkeys' version. It's kind of lame. Yeah, like well, that's the thing. They have the earlier versions of quite a few songs. They do an early version of uh, uh, Louie Louie. They and do. It's just it's not as good. What? Yeah, Louis yeah. Louie? Yeah, oh well, yeah. Oh. But there's a, there's a sa- the the riff is sax driven on theirs. Um. And it's just yeah. Like Barry Sachs? Yeah, it's it, well, yeah, that 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 fifties kind of vibe, Feel, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it doesn't touch the Kingsman's version, right? You know, so the, the the Raiders can can lay claim to having done all these songs first, but not to having done them the best. Mm. <laughs> mm. Wow, I did see. I didn't know that they did Louis Louis. Yeah, oh yeah. 
I was not aware of that. But I'll tell you what, Raiders may not have done the better version of Louie Louie, but they didn't do the worst one. The worst <laughs> version of Louie Louie is by the Kinks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Kinks version sucks ass. I was wondering why they did that. Yeah, you know. Why did they need to do, feel the need to do that? I don't know. Yeah, that was terrible. All right, the monkeys win, and uh, yeah. Da-da-da. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, and I did not. Everybody should thank me for not doing the cover version by... Uh, who the fuck was it? It was in that Shrek movie. Uh... Might as well be walking on the sun. Uh, oh, well, didn't they? They did I'm a Believer, right? Did, oh, yeah, I'm a Believer. But somebody, yeah, somebody did this one, too. Anyway, it sucked. So that is my six songs for Lucky Episode 13. Um, I hope that you learned something. And this is this was short. This went by fast. Uh, we are at about 57 minutes. Yeah, usually, well, the past couple episodes, I had a lot of backstory for things. Murders and... Right. Stuff. Well, you know, once I put the tracks in here, it'll be over an hour. Over an hour, yeah. So, uh, there you go, 13. We're about to record number 14. Um, I am really appreciating people writing in to me, giving me their suggestions. They're on my list. And what was the other thing? Somebody asked me about something very specific. Maybe I'll remember it later. But, uh, yes, please write to me at um, djcrystalclear at me.com because I still don't have a website. <laughs> or Because <you can, laughs> it's not 1998. it's not 1998. Or you can find me on Faceplace. Uh, that's Facebook. Uh, DJ Crystal Clear. I have a page there. And you can write to me on there as well. So uh, thank you once again. Thank you, Dr. Paul Bertolino. <laughs> and another reminder... To listen to his podcast called As It Should Be, he just did a spectacular two-part version for uh, the year of his birth. 1969! 1969! And coming up soon, you're going to have your year-end, right? Uh, yes, yes, you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, next episode is going to be my roundup of best albums of 2019. Yes. And you thought there wasn't such a thing. Exactly. Well, there is. Then there is. And I uh, am looking forward to that because, as I keep saying and telling people, you, despite you being uh, your world ending at (laughs) 11.59, (laughs) December 31st, 1979, uh, you listen to way more modern music than I do, than I ever will. Well, that's that's that may be true, but it's mostly rooted in the in the past. Right, but still, I mean, I I didn't tame Impala. I never heard of them until you told me about them. Right, and well, and you know, I wouldn't have heard about them except for it was one of those things where somebody on Facebook, whose musical taste I respected, commented, and I'm like, okay, what? Uh, all right, well, I'll check this I'll out. Check it out, yeah, yeah. And uh, that black dude, the African dude. Oh, Michael Kiwanuka. Michael Kiwanuka. Fuck, that album is so great. Yeah. Yeah, I would not have known this stuff if it wasn't for you, because oddly enough, I guess I'm stuck in the past. <laughs> Michael Kiwanuka, that's, uh, uh, that, that's my friend. Oh, fuck. That's going to be an edit point, because I can't be <laughs> not remembering his name. Uh, oh. Michael Kiwanuka, that's my friend John Meeks, who turned me on to Michael Kiwanuka a few years ago, so... Uh, 
Shout out to him, if by chance he listens to this. Shout out to John Meeks. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that's it. Uh, Stay tuned for episode number 14. And as always, happy motoring.